Charlie, don't drink my drink. Tyler Smith, and this is more than one lesson. Um, episode twenty, very, ex- very no, no, don't talk yet. Uh, very exciting. Um, that ridiculous thing you heard at the top uh, at the top of the show was today's guest during the sound check talking to my cat. So, I, I guess if you don't know that my cat's name is Charlie, it doesn't make much sense. It's just some kind of weird thing. But um, anyway, so uh, so yeah, our guest it's, uh, is re- is returning. He's back. I'm back. Uh, episode six, I believe. Yes, Harry Potter was six. In which we talked about Harry Potter, that's right. And uh, yeah, so Sean Richardson, he's back and he's better than ever. I am. Which is I've to still say... still got Jesus. Huh. What? Sorry. Look, that's I, a Nathan line. No, I, it is a Nathan I line. I thought of him when Nathan's I said it. Nathan's already been on the show twice. <laughs> Let's not have him a third time. Okay, sorry. Le- unless I'm going to. I don't need another one. I could him. do more pull-ups now than I could the last time I was here. So that way I'm No, I understand that that's how people like you gauge success, but you know, I it, mean It's actually a way for me to say that I am officially now a personal trainer as opposed to last time where I was in transition. That's right. I'm also married now. Yeah, that's good. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a very it was a beautiful ceremony. I was very happy that I was a part of it. Yeah, I was very happy to have you there. So. Tyler helped run my wedding and everything went very smoothly. The but, bride didn't yeah. want run away. Well, that's a step in the right direction. Mm. Um, all right, so before we get into the topic, all right, so here's the deal. Um, so if you're listening to this, it's a good chance that you probably listened to the last episode in which I, all by myself, talked about Avatar. And uh, <laughs> I like that episode. Do you? I do. Okay. I told you my one... My one- no, I. It's, so here's the deal, and and I wrote a blog about this, and so if you want to read, you know, if you want to go more in depth uh, into what I'm about to say, um, you can just go to the blog on morethanonelesson.com. dot com. Um, actually, you you would go to morethanonelesson.blogspot.com because the apology itself is not on the official website. That's just for that's just for people who follow the blog. Um, but anyway, so uh, so yeah. Um, so as you know, I got kind of uh, revved up in the in the uh, episode, impassioned. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and so uh, and I was very pleased with myself after the episode was done because mm. I had made a lot of points that I really wanted to make and that I felt people weren't talking about, and I was I was very happy. But then I listened back to it and I thought, like, you know, I'm a little dismissive in this thing, um, and uh, you know, I. It's it's fine to have an opinion. It's fine to stick to your opinion. It's fine to uh, to to back it up and be passionate about it. But you know, it's just a movie. Ultimately, that's true. And uh, although it is a James Cameron movie, no, I know. I'm sure if we were to talk to him, he would see. What are you trying to do to me? I'm <laughs> sorry. I I baited I baited your friendly neighborhood podcast host just then, folks. I'm sorry for baiting Tyler. Tyler, I apologize for baiting you. 
the word baiting now. I don't care for it. Like, if you've seen Idiocracy, it means something else. Yeah. So anyway, and I don't care for it. So anyway, uh, I don't like the directions you're taking this show, Sean. Um, you should have learned from last time. I should have. I agree with you on that one. You, you're you uh, right on the money. Um, but anyway, so as I was saying, Avatar is just a movie. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people just kind of enjoy it. That's all. Um, and there's no reason for me to be a jerk about it. Mm. As I said, it's p- passion is fine. Opinions are fine. But listening back, there are moments where I, I feel like maybe the, the impression that I'm giving is that mine is the only opinion that matters. I, you know, uh, we have a friend named Jason. It's his favorite movie of the year. He's a blogger for the for the website. And... He has good movie taste. My co-host for Battleship Pretension, he really loved the movie, and he has good movie taste. So it's, it's not like okay, well, if you know good, if you know good movies, you won't like it. If you don't know good movies, then you will like it. And I think I think I might have seemed uh, a little black and white uh, on that. Now, please don't get me wrong. I was uh, it wasn't necessarily an accusation, but somebody had suggested that perhaps uh, it was a little cheap that uh, that I was talking about this huge movie in a negative way by myself when no one could defend it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong; it's not like I thought, "Oh, I should have somebody on so that this is more of a debate." Uh, no, wait, I won't do that because I want to be the only one who has an opinion. Um, uh, that thought never entered my mind. And as I mentioned, even on the show, I didn't think I was going to go that negative with it, uh, beforehand. Uh, had I known that that's the direction I was going to head, admittedly, maybe I, or maybe I would have had someone else, uh, on to rein in, to rein me in, or at least to, to defend it. Mm. Um, but, uh, but as I said, I, uh, (laughs) I didn't know I, I had that much passion about the film, but, uh, but here we are. So, yeah. So yeah, uh, so thankfully, because uh, my first instinct was to like record an, an apology immediately, uh, or like a really heartfelt one. Uh, but listening to the episode again, and 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 listening to some of my friends, Sean here being one of them, um, I, I I talked him out of it in the very beginning. Yeah, um, and uh, and so I am sorry for for the part that I that I I think might have hurt someone's feelings, um, but uh, but I still stand by the things that I said, just not the way I said them. Yes. All the time. I think that was well done. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. So, uh, so yeah, if you, wanna, if you actually want to read uh, uh, the, the full apology or, or whatever, it, whatever you'd call that. Um, Justification, probably. Accountability. 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 Is what, in the, yeah, that's in the, the title. title of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so if you want to read that, go to uh, morethanonelesson.blogspot.com, and uh, you can read all about it. So, uh, and then as this will go up today, I'll go ahead and let... Uh, everyone know uh, that if you live in Los Angeles, BP Live. Uh, yeah, you can go to Battleship Pretension Live, and you can see me and David uh, hosting a what is essentially just a, a comedy show uh, at Meltdown Comics on Sun on Sunset, Sunset Boulevard. Um, I'm excited in West Hollywood. So it's at 8 p.m. Saturday, February 6th, uh, and it will be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. What five bucks? It'll, uh, yes, that's it's it's five dollars. I, I held up five fingers so Tyler would say it himself. No, and I thought you were saying no. It, I thought it was the fifth. No, it's the sixth. Today it is, is the, the fifth. fifth. Today is the fifth. Right. So I thought, well, why is it? Why is he? My doing wife this? Th- thought today was the fourth, so we have a bill that got paid late. Wait, what? She thought today was the fourth. Oh, I see. And the bill was due on the fourth. Oh my god! But it's the fifth. <sighs> so our gas bill was late. So you don't have you don't have any gas in your apartment? Nope. 
Oh my gosh, is that true? No, oh, okay. that's not true at all. I don't. I pay my bills on time. I'm a responsible adult, so I don't know how it works. Yeah, um, we're still ironing things out. Our our marriage is not two months old yet, so. As evidence, but oh man, no, I'm not going to go into the. There was a, t- a toilet seat incident uh, yeah. just a few moments ago. It's true, and uh, uh, we're not going to go into that right now. So, all right, now, uh, so there's a movie uh, that came out, uh, I guess, about three weeks ago now. It's true, and uh, thank you, Sean. Um, well, I I felt bad. I've I've caught myself nodding into the microphone six times since we've started this. I need to be. That's all right. Well, I mean, you don't have to... Unless I actually start, like, making contact so people... Yeah. If you hear a thumping, it's me, like, hitting my forehead on it when I nod. But Please I don't, don't think you'd like me doing that. I'd prefer you not to See, that, so I need to honestly. just articulate more. Yeah. I, although, you know, you you develop an instinct for it after a while. Okay. Um, so you're going to have me on a, a, a third time? <sighs> now I don't believe... Maybe. I don't now know. Now I don't believe you when you say no, because you said never again after the Harry Potter episode. Yeah, and then, uh, I, honestly, I have no idea why you're here. Me either. I don't I, know why I decided to throw this to you, throw I this didn't episode even, to you, but I didn't uh, even vehemently are. bug you. I know, you didn't. Mm. Other people have. Mm. Man, for, that guy I mentioned, Jason Eakin, man, he just keeps keeps pushing me. Uh, but it's a weird thing, because uh, there's really no rhyme or reason to why... I assign, with the exception of, of Nathan and talking about the uh, fireproof, because he's a friend who's been married for, you know, a little while, not a, not a year, but he's been married for a little while. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, but besides, uh, besides that, there's really not a great deal of rhyme or reason to why I choose someone for a specific film. Um, it just somehow in the moment seems like that's the person to talk about it with. I know that may sound a little strange and more than a little haphazard, but uh, but that's how it is. And it's the so, Lord. Okay, Sean says it's the Lord, and uh, perhaps that's perhaps that's right. Um, so uh, so a few weeks ago, we have a friend uh, named Matt Titus. How's it going there, Titus? Uh, hey, Titus. Who was talking about? Um, who was talking about the film, The Book of Eli, and uh, and he was talking about. And I had read that there were some religious overtones to the film. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll I'll be sure to watch it at some point. It mm-hmm. wasn't a big it wasn't a big priority for me because this is the time of year when I usually get Oscar movies out of the way. Yeah. Um. But then he went to see it and he goes, "You've got to do this show, this movie on your show." And by that time, I was already thinking about it, just not immediately. Um. And he goes, "You got to see it. Oh my gosh, it's just it's so overtly Christian in so many ways and and all that. It's not a good impression of Titus, by the way. And so um, so I I became intrigued and I and I read some reviews of it and uh and it just sounded like okay well this is yeah this is this does seem surprisingly overt and uh and so I thought okay well this is the one that that I want to talk about who do I want to talk about it with and uh as I said I don't know how it happened but I I landed on Sean divine intervention Sean says divine intervention and um yeah perhaps yeah so um might have just been that you were there you never know it's true but What's interesting is that after you and I saw the film, uh, you you were way more impassioned about it than I've, I ever was about Avatar. I was. I I, I was actually thinking. When oh, you were, and by the way, spoilers. spoilers. There's uh yeah um this episode because we do want to be able to talk about it in depth. So we are going to give away certain. As far as like a major spoiler, there's really just a plot twist, and then there's and then after that, it's uh, 
the like the major thing at the end we're going to talk yeah. about it has less to do with the twist and more to do with the note that they end on which is not necessarily a spoilery kind of thing but you may want to be completely surprised so we're just telling you in yeah. advance spoilers if if you want to go be surprised by book of eli um i don't know i i hate to tell your listeners to not listen to this episode but no the, it's fine i mean the one of the things that I was thinking a lot about in coming into this episode is the importance of holding uh, holding on to a theme throughout the duration of a film. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that bugged me a lot about Book of Eli, especially when I first saw it, was what the last shot did to the entire message of the film. Yeah. Um, but we don't have to get into that immediately if you don't want to yeah i think we'll first we'll go into uh just basic plot elements uh much like the film earlier this uh i'm sorry last year um called the road um book of eli takes place uh after the apocalypse has happened uh in this case it was a war uh nuclear war nuclear war uh fallout and yeah so not a lot of people left in the world uh the world is a very desolate gross looking place Mm -hmm. um and People over the age of 30 are rare. The film makes yes. several statements about how odd it is to see someone over the age of 30. Yeah, somebody who was around before the apocalypse happened. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, it's basically about this guy uh, named Eli, although we are not told his name until fairly late in the film, but it's called The Book of Eli, mm-hmm. and so there we go. So his name is Eli. Played by Denzel Washington. Indeed. Very well. Yeah, yeah. You I know, like I'm, uh, I, did, I used to not like Denzel Washington, but he's, he's kind of won me over. Ever since, uh, I think it was The Hurricane, and Never then... saw The Hurricane. It's pretty good. And then after that, Training Day, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's mm-hmm. really good. And, and he can kind of fall into uh, kind of the same old cadence, but that's all right. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong. I, some people think that good acting means... Uh, a huge range uh, mm-hmm. as far as like, oh, we can do all these accents and just, oh, you'd never know it. And that can be great, but at the same time, it just, it's all about believing the character that they're playing. And I always yeah. believe Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um, and so, so basically, he's just crossing uh, the country on foot, uh, going out west, yes. uh, probably to the coast, mm-hmm. um, and uh, running across uh, various uh, marauders along the way yeah. and uh, killing them. <laughs> well, when when necessary, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, I my wife told me to say this. Uh, if you are someone who is bothered by gore or blood or violence, yeah, um, this is not your film. Um, there, like th- this would be bloody enough that Heather wouldn't want to see it. Heather's my wife. Um, okay, that Heather wouldn't want to be able to see it. Okay. Um, but it really bothers her. It is a very violent film, and I guess there are moments of gore. It's it's weird. Like, I grew I grew up. I have I have a very definite definition definite definition of the word gore. Mm-hmm. And if you you know if you grew up watching horror movies in the eighties, gore was oh my gosh! It's yeah. somebody's guts are falling out. Yeah. Uh, and zombies are probably eating them or something like that. Just where literally what is on the inside is now on the outside, yeah. and we all see it fully displayed. Um, and that doesn't ha- that's it's not that bloody, right? But you do um, see like it's it, the violence is fast and it is rather gruesome. You will see mm-hmm. like heads come off, but it doesn't like linger on the head. It's not Sleepy Hollow or anything. That's but, true. But you will see heads come off mm-hmm. uh, more than expected. Yeah, 
head heads heads come off a lot um but i i don't know we never finished talking about the plot um oh yeah so eli denzel washington's character is walking across the country transporting the last king james bible in existence to a place that the lord has told him it will be kept safe right um he doesn't know specifically what it is. The only thing he knows is that it will be kept safe. Yeah. In a conversation about midway through the film, he's talking to Mila Kunis's character about how he's getting where he's going, talking about being led by faith. He just walks by faith. Where the Lord leads him to go, um, that's where that's where he travels. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and he does have the the la- you know, if not the last one of the last King James Bibles because. Shortly after the war, uh, all of them were gathered up and burned because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's implied that uh, perhaps the war uh, came from uh, religious differences. So I don't know if it was just the Bible that was burned or perhaps all religious texts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't say. It doesn't. But, uh, but as far as the Bible goes, he's got the last one. Yes. And, uh, and it's not necessarily revealed that it's a Bible immediately. Um, it's just called a book. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's... After it becomes very obvious without them saying that, oh, okay, well, this is this is a Bible, uh, and so after a while, it, it turns into um, a western of sorts, actually, where yeah. he comes into a you know comes into a town that is basically made from scrap metal, mm-hmm. and um, finds that there is a man who runs the town named Carnegie, played by Gary Oldman, and uh, and Oldman has had uh, guys. Searching the searching the land for this book, he has not identified what it is, but it becomes very clear very quick that the book he's looking for is the Bible, and Denzel Washington has it. They yeah. run across each other, and Oldman wants it, and Washington doesn't want to give it to him. Yeah, it's also made very clear that Gary Oldman is one of very very few people who can actually read. Yes, um, the the one the scene where you see one of these marauders bringing books to Gary Oldman. He just pours out a pile of books on the desk and then waits with a smile on his face to be congratulated, only to find out that the book he, uh, Gary Oldman's character, Carnegie, was looking for isn't there. And they clearly can't read. Yeah. Um, so just anything that's got pages and a spine, they bring to uh, to Gary Oldman's character. Yeah. And uh, and he's, he's very vocal and very... Uh, upfront about the idea that he wants the book solely so that because he he's old enough to remember what it was like before the war and he knew that people you could win their hearts and minds using the words from this book mm-hmm. and so and that's what he's you know he controls this little town but he can control much more if he if he can basically harness the power yeah. or the manipulative power of religion mm-hmm. and uh he wants to be a false prophet. And honestly, this is one of the things that I was really happy with the movie about. Mm-hmm. It managed to create a scenario where a false prophet was set adrift among people who didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. So he could very he very clearly speaks to his henchmen in essence about what he is going to do. Yeah. And since they can't read and don't remember religion, he can be very, very open about, look, I know you guys don't get this, but there is power in the wor- words in this book. He's effectively saying, there is power in the word of the Lord. I cannot just spout these things. Yeah, you can't 
necessarily paraphrase it. Exactly. Yeah. But um, with scripture in hand, he can go through, take out the passages he wants, say they're the word of the Lord given to him from God, and right. control the world, basically. Yeah. The, the world that he's in. And I think it's also one, one of the things that... Uh, and actually, before we get too far into this, I did want to talk about uh, my expectation of the film going in. Oh, yeah. That's um, important to this. Because I had heard uh, through friends and various uh, sources that... Uh, Matt Titus. Yes, Matt Titus is one, but uh, but others as well. Like, just how overtly Christian it was. And uh, I guess maybe I'm just a little cynical. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I won't even go that far. I think I'm realistic in... I know that Hollywood... I mean, this is Denzel Washington, and even though he's one, he's a producer, and he's a you know, and he uh, proclaims himself to be a Christian, uh, and is very vocal about it. I knew that this is a Hollywood film with, a, and a lot of money has been put into it. And I thought they, they can't. This is going to be a watered down, a watered down version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. There's no way they are going to just have have it be so overt. Yeah. And uh, and so when I went in. And start watching it. Uh, my cynicism started to kind of melt away a little bit because it looked like it was really committed to this. Um, and then, as as Sean mentioned, and we won't get to the end just yet, but uh, I'll speak about it in a broad sense. Uh, and so, really, kind of the the film got my hopes up as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And then, in the last shot or the last you know minute and a half of the film, uh, that's when it it wound up. Being exactly what I expected, yeah. which was a, a watered down version of it, um, and so I thought, okay, well, if it's not if it's not about Christianity, then it's probably about something else. Yeah. And and one of the things that I that I think it is about, uh, and I'll talk about this very briefly, and then we can move on. One of the things that I think it is about is the importance of information in general, not even just religion, because it's no. It should be noted that. Carnegie is thriving on a lot of things. He's he's thriving on the fact that no one no one but him can read. Yep. Because that means when the time comes, the only information that anybody will ever get is through him. Mm-hmm. It also so there's that, and then also when the time comes, and he does get his hands on a Bible, you know he can, as you say, he can filter out the stuff that doesn't serve him, and he can just tell them the stuff that works re- that will get them to follow him specifically. But then there's also a key bit of information where, you know, these marauders go and and look for books and they bring them back to him. And if they're not the book he's looking for, he just has them burned. Yeah. Because a, if someone gets their hands on these, they might teach themselves to read, but also just, it's just more information Mm -hmm. and ignorance of any kind, whether it be of religion or whatever. Ignorance of any kind will always help those who have some information. Mm-hmm. And so so to me, what the film winds up being about is something that I know may sound kind of strange. It's even bigger than religion. It's it's just the importance of of information, but also educate like education. And by that I don't necessarily mean like the public school system. Just the idea of like educating yourself because if you don't then the people that did are always going to be able to manipulate you yeah 
you factor in the idea of religion because this film is specifically about religion and even mm-hmm. more specifically about Christianity. You factor that in, and now we're getting into false prophets. Yeah, and and there is nothing more odious than that yeah. in my view. Um, but I've been talking for a while. What do you have to say about the stuff that I just said? Um, well, in terms of going into the film, I I didn't. I was kind of like Tyler. I I didn't want to have my feelings hurt. I didn't want to go <laughs> yeah. in. Well, and it's funny that I say that because when I left the film, the way I felt was that the film had hurt my feelings. You um, were so angry. I was. I was upset. Um, I I went in with very few expectations. Yeah. Um, because and I'll okay. Um, but the fi- over the course of the film, the overt Christian nature of the content. The things Eli says, Denzel Washington quotes scripture several times from memory in the film. Right. Um, which, as Christians, is something we're called to do. It's clear that he knows the word. He has spent a lot of time with it. Um, and as opposed to other Christian films, which Tyler and I have watched several pieces of, you don't expect subtlety out of Christian film. Now, right. Christian filmmakers listening to this podcast make better Christian films. Like they don't need to, you don't need to browbeat your audience. There's something in this that's kind of reminiscent of what Tyler was talking about last week with avatar. It was a film that so obviously didn't want you to miss the point, which is trees are good and industrialism is bad that it really, it was, it didn't let you make a decision for yourself. It was, there's no way you could have left the film feeling like, well, maybe Giovanni Ribisi, there's a reason for this. Like, maybe there was no way you went left the film with that. You you were an environmentalist at the end. Yeah. In my experience, Christian film is very much the same way. There's uh, there's a conversion scene, or um, but that that doesn't happen with the Book of Eli. Denzel Washington is a Christian, and the fact that he is a Christian affects people around him and inspires them because he clearly has something that they want. There's a scene in the film where uh, Mila Kunis is sent to him uh, basically as a prostitute to bribe him to stay in the town by Gary Oldman's character, Carnegie. Um, Denzel Washington refuses and tries to send her away, but uh, there would something bad would happen to Mila Kunis's mother if she left the room. And so she convinces Denzel Washington to let her stay the night and lie about what happened. Yeah. Um, but there's food on the table and he decides to share it with her and he sits down to pray. Yeah. She clearly has no idea what he's doing Yeah. and he doesn't really explain it. He just prays in her presence and his conviction and how much it means to him affects her in such a way that in the very next scene that she eats, she prays over the meal. She doesn't know what she's doing. It's made really clear that she doesn't know what to say. Yeah. But it's affecting and it's subtle. And I was kind of jumping up and down that, that the film was doing this type of thing because it's really not something you see very often. Well, and I think also there's something that, that we as Christians can learn from that scene it's not just that he has 
that he's committed to what he is doing, which is to say praying. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he believes it so fervently. It's that it's it's mixed with it's that mixed with the fact that he has done kind things for her. Yes. And this is not a kind world. Um very much no. And so so he basically is not having sex with her. He is sharing food with her. And what's more, and he's also not only is he rejecting her, not that it was her idea or anything, not only is he rejecting her, but he's also allowing her to stay with him so you know, and not doing anything so that she won't be hurt and no mm-hmm. one will be hurt. And just he does really in that situation, he does the right thing in every way. Um and so it it has to do with so I think her the impact that it made on her, it had to do with his his conviction when it came to the prayer, mm-hmm. certainly, but she, I don't think she would have noticed if he had just been the typical jerk That's true. and then prayed, you know, That's like, true. because everyone else is a jerk mm-hmm. now, but this is a jerk who just seemingly talks to himself. So yeah. what, you know, so what do I care? It, this is a man definitely in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. The, the, th- well done. Thank you. Um, the, uh, the, th- this thing that is causing him to pray over his meal seems to have had an impact on himself, uh, on, on who he is as a person, to the point where he is not a selfish psychopath. And I feel like as, as Christians, that's not, it's a very basic thing mm-hmm. that if you say you're a Christian, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with the companion film, if you say you're a Christian, there are certain... There are certain things that you requirements requirements in how you behave yeah. and the things that you do because quite frankly if you don't if you don't do those and and I'm not going to get into specifics here because that's a much larger um, discussion yeah but for a good example just read the New Testament and see the way Jesus acts and do what you can to emulate that but um, if if you're not if you say you're a Christian but you're not doing but you you make no change yeah. in how you were before. Then it doesn't matter what you say you are. No mm. one's paying any attention. Yeah. In fact, you're probably only ever you're probably only hurting Christianity. But yeah, that's again that's that's for another time. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that scene is really powerful. I mean, she she goes on to pray without him mm-hmm. because it made such an impact on her. Yeah. You know, um, real committed Christianity that has an eff- that that affects who you are as a person, people will sit up and take notice. Yeah. And and I was that way at, like in the film. Christ, the Christians in the Christian film I have seen, and granted, this film is not one that touted itself as a Christian project. Right. Um, but it's... I find you rarely come across Christians in film who are just Christians and regular people, and that is... Uh, that colors who they are and they're definitely there's a separation mm-hmm. there it's it's always incredibly overbearing so when this film was subtle and not browbeating the audience but showing them a clear difference i was really excited yeah and it it does go through the most of the film that way he he is constantly praying he'll stop and listen to the word of the lord he talks about um how he found the book and how it was after the war 
He heard a voice audibly, and Mila Kunis is looking at him like he's nuts. Yeah. Um, telling him where to go, where he found the book, and then he had been walking for thirty years, right? Trying to get this to this place. There were so many things about the film that I was excited about that when we get to the end, and I kind of feel like I have to talk about this now because I can't get into like thematic stuff without it. If you want to talk about anything else beforehand, um. Not necessarily. Um, okay. I think I think a precursor to what you're talking about. There is a scene where she's talking to him about the book. This mm-hmm. is before the ending, and he talks about quote unquote what he got out of it. Yes, you know, and he just says, you know, uh, do, you know, do for others better than you do for yourself, or, or something like that. I, I don't something to that effect. You know, it's it's basically the golden rule. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's adapted. To, you know for his cadence and all that but um so it's basically the golden rule and then he just says you know that's what i got out of it and part and part of me is like uh yeah so i mean i i should have expected that kind of thing but it's just like yeah. you know um so that 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 was kind of the first little little flag that things were not going to stay on pace yeah with where they had been um don't get us wrong by the way we're not saying that that is a bad lesson no. To learn. No. But great lesson. But yeah. overarching There's a lot more going on. Overarching theme of the Bible, if if you can explain that without using the word Jesus, mm-hmm. read it again. Yeah. Um and uh well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um at this point, we're we're offici- we've already talked about some things that are spoiler esque. We're yeah. officially in huge spoiler territory. Yeah. Um because we've got to talk about the end of the film. One of the reasons why I was had my feelings hurt at the end of the film was because of the last shot of the movie. Right. Um, so, recapping. Denzel Washington has the last Bible on Earth. He is taking it to a place that the Lord has told him um, where the Bible will be safe with people who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Oldman's character has tried to take this from him. Um, and he is, per- he and Mila Kunis are both pursued over what we gather are many miles. Um, lots of violent things happen. Yeah. Um, it should be noted that Gary Oldman gets the Bible. It, he, yeah. he receives like through, um, they're just put Denzel Washington and Mila Kunis are put in a situation where they cannot get out with the Bible. They're completely surrounded. Gary Oldman's people have guns. It's, and they give it up. And, um, in the midst of that, Denzel Washington is shot in the stomach. Yeah. Now he has made a comment earlier in the film that the Lord has told him that on this journey, he will be protected. And we've seen witness. We've seen that in the film. There's a moment where the, the right hand man of, uh, of Gary Oldman's character, takes a shot at him with a takes a shot with a gun um shoots him at very close range and misses twice uh and after the first miss he kind of looks at the gun in with a uh i don't know what just happened type of look on his face it's very clear that this man doesn't miss um but he misses twice in a row yeah uh so Denzel Washington is shot and left for dead they try and take Mila Kunis back. She escapes and gets back to him to find his body is not where it was left. He is continued to walk 
on the road to where um to where the Lord is leading him. Yeah. Um this is very abbreviated. She picks him up, they continue to drive and they get to San Francisco and you can tell this is where the Lord has been leading Denzel Washington. Yeah. Um he they get to um the San Francisco Bay. Uh they're standing on the bank and he, Denzel Washington looks out over the water. They see Alcatraz Island and get in a boat and start paddling there. Um, they get into this secure complex by alerting these people that they have the last King James Bible in existence. And, uh, well, he says that he has the last King James Bible in existence. They let him in, and then he sits down with the we find out that this place has a printing press. Yeah. It's basically, it's a place that is very secure, and uh, the guy in charge, played by Malcolm McDowell, um, excuse me, he has kind of made it his mission to gather artifacts mm-hmm. from before the from war. From before the war. You know. he, he talks about Alcatraz as being a museum of art and culture from before the war. Yeah. Um, so Denzel Washington sits down with him, and starts to dictate the Bible, verse yeah. by verse, starting in Genesis. He has the entire Bible memorized. Yeah. Um, we see, uh, you know, m- time passes clearly. Uh, pages are stacking up that Malcolm McDowell, has, Malcolm McDowell has written by hand. Denzel Washington has gotten medical attention, but is continuing to dictate. And we start to see pages coming off a printing press yeah um denzel washington finishes the book uh and dies yeah uh like he was shot in the stomach he was mortally wounded to begin with now Um, should we also because you've not brought up the twist i wasn't i wasn't going to do it just yet okay um so we see the first bible come off the printing press Malcolm McDowell is holding it like it's a child with like just so lovingly yeah. and he talks it's got a nice leather cover mm-hmm. on it he talks as soon as uh, Denzel Washington gets there they talk a lot about how important it is to receive this Bible mm-hmm. um, and as the film ends he's walking towards the camera and the last thing that we see is a bookshelf with a Torah and a Quran yeah. and other religious texts on it and the Bible is, granted, center frame, but the Bible is placed on that shelf with, and this is my opinion, with a certain amount of finality. Yeah. And that's what you see. And what's interesting is that it's in the middle of the shelf, which means there's a big gap in yes. that shelf, which means there's, it wasn't placed on the end. It's not like they moved stuff around to make room for it. Mm-mm. You know, as far as just the structure of the of the shot it's implied that just this gap has been there yes. for whenever they get a Bible. And now that they have it, they can fill that gap and that shelf is complete. Okay. Now let's talk about the twist because the twist adds to, um, the, the impact of the, of the scene. Um, Gary Oldman's character gets the Bible. They take it back. He is, um, the Bible is locked. Yeah. Um, and we see an appearance by Tom Waits. That's right. Yep. Uh, he opens the Bible for Gary Oldman slides the Bible to him, he opens the Bible up, and there's, uh, the shots are being juxtaposed. Uh, Denzel Washington is dictating while this scene is happening. And 
Gary Oldman opens up the Bible. It's actually a scene very reminiscent of uh, one in Fifth Element, where Gary Oldman gets the, oh, yeah. the box with the elements. Anyway, um, so if you've seen Fifth Element, it's a scene very much like that. Uh, and the camera is panning in on Denzel Washington's face yeah. as Gary Oldman opens this Bible for the first time. And we realize that Denzel Washington is blind. Yeah. It's a really... Now, aside from... There's... A, okay, now, all throughout the film... I'm going to be talking about the artistic element of this, by the oh, way. Oh, time out. Uh, yeah. The Bible is in Braille. Oh, the Bible's in Braille, yes. He, well that's that's the big thing. Like, Gary Oldman can't use it. Yeah. He's the only one that can read, but he can't read this. Yep. And as it happens, uh, Mila Kunis's mother, the one that he's constantly torturing, is blind, but she refuses to read the Bible for She claims for that she can no longer remember Braille, but... Right, right. But she's probably not trying too hard. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a nice irony, you mm-hmm. know? That only really only one man ever could have read this, yeah. and it's and it's this guy. So uh, now, as, from a oh my, uh, are we really loud? Yeah, I, I think I am. Hang on. All right. So uh, yeah, I'll have to take that part down. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I just noticed that I'm I'm really loud. I'm gonna hold this mic out a little further from my mouth. Um, my lips are touching mine. Is that bad? That go right ahead, buddy. Okay. It's your second appearance. You can do whatever you want with that mic. Nice. That sounds inappropriate. That does. So, um, We're talking about something serious. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, it, uh, there, there are certain things, you know, it's like when you watch, when you watch the sixth sense and you think, Oh, he's dead. And so then you think back, spoilers, whatever. <laughs> um, so you think back on the film and you think like, oh, okay, that, that means this makes sense and this makes sense. And throughout the film, Denzel Washington is always – he's always smelling something or mm-hmm. he's always he always hears something significantly before everybody else. Yeah. And it just seems like he's this just This is a really... man who's been alone. He's learned to use his other senses. Yeah. It really is a f- fantastic performance for, oh, he's been blind this whole time. The little – yeah, the little character things that he does are really great. Like they and they litter the film, and the and the way that they reveal that he's blind without ever actually saying it. And of course, once you see that the Bible is in Braille, then it's obvious. But yeah. at the same time, the way they push in on his eyes, and you see that that you know he kind of has cataracts, and that and more specifically that his eyes aren't focused on anything because mm-hmm. he does spend a good chunk of the film wearing sunglasses so that but you don't have to think about everyone that. does. The, right, right, exactly. There's no ozone layer. Um, the sun has blinded many people. Right. And so, so as it pushes in on his eyes, it becomes really clear. And it's just, it's a, it, it's a really nice reveal mm-hmm. when it comes to, when it comes to like revealing a twist in a film, you can do it in a real clunky way or you can u- do it in a nice subtle way. And that along with, I'd say like usual suspects, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's always, it's almost always best when the person isn't saying I'm blind. Yeah. What do you think of that? That was probably loud. That's fine. It's it was meant to be. Yeah. And so um people don't ever say that quietly. They usually yell it. That's true. That's true. It's a function of being blind. You think people can't hear you. Hmm. That may not be true. I yeah. don't know that for a fact. I don't think I remember that in Daredevil, but um <laughs> cuz that's really all I've got. That incentive of a woman. So uh, uh so as far as that twist, it's artistically it's really well done. Although there are a few moments everyone when you think back and you're like uh, he's making reference to something that he can see, I think. Yeah. Like, they run across, uh, like, a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Although, it's not clear what it is right away. I mean, 
if you're blind, you may not know what it is. Yeah. Because there's no sounds to indicate mm-hmm. what is there. The only way to know what it is is to see it. You could smell death. Maybe that. Hey, maybe that's an option. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a possibility. And so you just you just kind of take take it with a grain of salt and it's just true. you know because it's the specifics of it aren't what's important. Mm-hmm. It's it's what it means. Well, I would I would say that the specifics of it are important because okay. one of the things, like I said, hurt my feelings. One of the things that I didn't like okay. was looking back on the film, especially after the reveal. We have I have become very invested in yeah. this character who God is clearly ordained. This is a chosen of the Lord. Now knowing he is blind, the impact of what he has done is even greater. He's mem- He's memorized the Bible, um, which, yeah, awesome. Um, he has also trekked across the entire country blind. He doesn't use a cane. He just goes. He is moved by faith. Yeah. The will of God pushes him forward. So, And he talks at length about how the Lord has said the Bible will be safe in this place. These people need this need the Bible, mm. and he has not given it to someone who clearly is going to misuse it, even though there are people in that town who need salvation. Right. Those people need saving. It's a function of the person running the town that the Bible is not safe there. There are incredible stakes involved with where this Bible ends up. So yeah. to have that last shot look like he went through all that God brought him through all of that trial. He was shot. He will die to deliver the Bible to people who were just collecting it. That, to me, changes the entire theme of the film and does make it more about what you were saying earlier. This is no longer about Christianity and how it saves people. This is about information. Right. Because we have other religious texts there. Yeah, so, as well as Shakespeare and any yeah. number of things. He, so I, there was a time where I kind of didn't know what to think. We've watched the Bible trek across the country. Am I, if there's a, a Quran next to it, am I supposed to believe that a man with a Quran trekked across the United yeah. States as well, it loses the importance that I believe the film was setting it up to have by having that last shot. Right. Um, and and that's what upset me, to go as far as the film did and make as many, be as progressive as the film was for a film about Christian themes only to end with a and now we've got our last religious texts. Uh, we can move on to working on the collecting the work of Bernard Shaw. Yeah. Um, it it to me almost made made the experience of going through the film with Denzel Washington cheaper. Yeah, I mean, basically, as important as as the theme is about the about cherishing information and, and literature or any number of things, um, because there's a you know it's it's a nice bookend huh yeah um sorry i didn't mean to no you did i'm sorry everybody this episode's over no um it's a nice bookend that it's just gary oldman burns the books that he doesn't need malcolm mcdowell treasures every single thing that's written because it can't hurt Mm -hmm. you know and so um because even if it's even if it's something that it's that's incorrect it's still it's 
it still educates people. It still leaves. It gives them the choice of what it's they're still going another to... opinion. Yeah, yeah, yep. And so, um, I don't know if you guys heard the knowingness in my voice just then. Yeah, because yes, because ultimately, what it comes down to is the Bible. What's in in the in the film, what is so important to Denzel Washington, what he devotes 30 years of his life, and clearly what God is is driving him towards is ultimately just another just another opinion. It's just another part of the elephant. Yeah. You know? And uh, Oh wow, that's uh, actually I just well brought done. that up. Well done. That that's was another good. part of the elephant. Blind men. That was pretty brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. Yeah. Um Humility, Tyler. <laughs> Podcast Award nominee, thank you very much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where is that, by the way? I don't see it on your mantle. The nomination? It's out there. Oh, okay. Um, okay, but now that we've talked about this, we've gotten to the end of the film. Um, I feel like I I kind of, through thought, prayer, I kind of discovered something about why I reacted the way I did to this project. Okay. Um, I started thinking about the film in a different way than I believe the film was intended. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a Christian who lives in Los Angeles. I have worked in Hollywood. I, well, not much, but, um, I've, I've been on movie sets. I know how unwelcome Christianity can be in this industry. Mm-hmm. So when, uh, when this film seemed like it was making these huge strides and don't get me wrong, it was, um, but when, when it fell short at the end, uh, like it uh it felt like the the film lacked the courage of its own conviction mm-hmm. but i was looking at the film as a a tool of missions right. as um as other christian films frequently are other christian films tend to be made to convert people you there's which is why they're so heavy-handed uh filmmakers tend not to want to run the risk of having their audience miss the point right this film is not doing that. Over the course of watching it, I started to believe that this film was doing that, and I was incorrect. Mm-hmm. Uh, in retrospect, I can look at this film as a Christian who understands more of the politics of making a movie in L.A. Yeah. and applaud it for what it did, understanding that uh I don't think the film would have gotten made if it had ended with Malcolm McDowell taking the Bible to a group of small children and sitting down and starting to read it to them. Yeah. Uh, talking about its importance. Um, so. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, we talk, we've, we've talked about it before um, with, with other guests. Just the, you know, when you are a Christian or really, uh, you know what, any, any belief that you might have, political, spiritual... You do bring that with you to to a film or, or any piece of art. It's true. So you're instantly going to... So if a, if, if a piece of art purports to be about something that directly affects you, you're going to start looking at it uh, on probably two levels. You'll look at it for what it is, but then you also f- look at it for, for what you wish it was. And sometimes those two line up. Mm-hmm. Usually they don't. Not so much for me this time. You know, there's there's a movie that came out in 2000 called The Contender uh, with Joan Allen and Jeff Bridges and Gary Oldman and, and several others. I like that and uh, and it's a it's a political film, and uh, and so I and with a great cast and I thought, oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. So I go in. I mean, it is and it is 
incredibly uh, partisan. I mean, it is totally anti-Republican, completely pro-Democrat. And at the time, I was much more staunchly Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... So it like really bothered me at the time, but then I just realized, and but at the same time, it's like, well, you know what? This filmmaker has a point of view, and I don't agree with it. I shouldn't necessarily require that he cater to me just for the sake of, you know, going with a a larger audience. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get a larger audience. It's it's his film to make. Yeah. And on the on, and so if I if I try to adapt. Not adapt to, in the sense of agree with what he was trying to do, but you just acknowledge that, all right, well, he was trying to do something else yeah. than what I wish he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And on the level of what he's trying to do, it's, it was a success. Yeah. And on the level of what the Hughes brothers were trying to do with Book of Eli, it's, a, it's an incredibly watchable film. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, you know, great cinematography, beautiful art direction, really great performances. And, you know, I got to say, just in general, Gary Oldman... In this in this role specifically, he could have gone really hammy. He could have bon- gone really, really over the top, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. He just played it as just like a normal guy who's just very not a normal guy. I mean, he, he has very uh, very He's... bad negative motives, but at the same time, he just I'm sure he would describe himself as a pragmatist. Yeah, this is what I need, and this mm-hmm. is you know this is what needs to happen, and this is how it's going to get done. Yep, and so. You know, and so it's just I, I really like his his performance. I think Mila Kunis was probably a bit miscast, but she did all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's always nice to see Tom Waits, but just in general, it's a very satisfactory yeah. film. And as you say, as as you mentioned uh, earlier, it 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 does take steps towards like overt Christianity in mm-hmm. a film. Yeah. But. The the themes that it does directly have, which is, as I said, the importance of information, and I think, whether it be Christianity or otherwise, the idea of a false prophet versus an actual prophet. Yep. Um, and, read, and the idea read of, Second Peter, people. A lot about false prophets in there. Absolutely. Do you have the the verse? I, I at, do. With I'm, you? I'm not going to read all of Second Peter two. Okay. Um, but to start things off, um. So this is uh, the second epistle of Peter, uh, chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destructive de- their destruction does not slumber. That's just uh, the first three verses. The rest of the chapter goes on to um, talk a little bit more about false teachers. But yeah. um, in terms of a film, as, as a Christian, mm-hmm. if you are trying to start... Uh, conversations about Christ, conversations about the Bible with non-religious friends. Yeah. I'd say The Book of Eli is a great movie to go see because not only does it um, does it get someone thinking along those lines, yeah. but you have the opportunity after the fact to go in and talk about uh, what's what what was great about the film, the, the way Denzel Washington's character moves completely by faith, the way there are men who are setting out to take 
scripture and corrupt it and corrupt people with it. Yeah. But you can also talk about the things that aren't in the film. Chiefly among them is Jesus because he's not mentioned. But um, yeah. which is another one of those things. I think if if Christ was very uh, was in a lot of the script probably would have been harder for Hollywood to make it. Yeah. Um, and it's, and that's the thing is that I, I, I agree with a lot of the things that the film is saying. Um, I, and cannibalism so, bad. I, I'm not in favor of it. I'm not. Um, but the, unless the person's already dead, in which case go and, and you, you know, like if it's between that and like eating like potatoes or like uncooked potatoes or something, ugh. Well, they they say if you're starving and you have the opportunity to eat people, you mm-hmm. should because it takes the fewest calories to digest it. Huh. Yep. Because right. the, the protein strands are the same. Your body doesn't have to break them down and rebuild them. Hmm. Yep. What a horrible thing to know. Um, but the... So it's just so. At, but at, so as a as a film goer, there's a lot of things in the film that I that I agree with. Mm-hmm. And then as a Christian, I just wish it would have gone the whole way. Yeah. But at the same time, I will say, artistically, that last shot it does rob the film of some of its power. Yep. If the film was as committed to its premise mm-hmm. as Denzel Washington's character was, yeah. If it if it took its cues completely from him. Then I think it would have followed through. Yeah, but they don't, which ultimately makes him look not necessarily like a fool because he is clearly being led by God and yeah. he's just following along. But it almost it, that he's just God's pawn yeah. for something that is ultimately yeah. This is just one other thing. Or if and if the reflection is not on what Denzel Washington is doing, the reflection mm-hmm. is then on God. Yeah, because it's not as important if you know. There's a deity around every corner making sure their holy book gets to gets to the printing press at Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, so for me, as a Christian, it lacked the courage of its conviction. Um, but and even artistically, I'd say Denzel Washington's performance. If if that's the way with what the character does, if that's the way they're going to go with the film, mm-hmm. there needs to be a comment about having just having the Bible just put on a shelf being not what Eli intended. Right. Because it's very clear, at least to me, it's very clear that that is not what he wanted. He wanted the word spread, not um, yeah. shelved. And he says it. Yeah. Like there's a scene between him and, and Oldman where Gary Oldman says, hey, I just want to I just want to spread the word. And he goes, don't you want that? And Eli says, I want it more than anything. And and I don't remember exactly how he follows it up, but basically he says, I, I, I really want it, but not the way you're going to do it. So yeah. he actually does want the word to get out. Mm-hmm. It's not just that he wants the Bible to be safe. Yeah. He wants it to be safe from destruction, and then what? Yeah. You know, and as you say, the way it just, the when they put the Bible on the shelf, the way it fits in there, you almost feel like it's never going to come off. Mm-hmm. It is, their collection is done. I mean, they describe it as a museum. Museums... You don't take those. You don't take the things out and go mess with them. You will look at them and say, "Wow, what a thing!" Yeah. And then you move on with your life. Yeah. Um. So it is. It. So that's the thing. Is is I, I do think that that it's ending. I do have a problem with its ending beyond merely, you know, a Christian thing. Yeah. Um. You do need to think about the implications 
of, of what that means for the character. Yeah. Um, and so in that way, it, it is a frustrating film. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I do recommend it because, as Sean said, you know, first off, just if you like, you know, if you really like movies and, and gorgeous uh, art direction and stuff like that, um, it's a great movie to see. But as a Christian, it can start a lot of interesting conversations. Yeah. Um, all I, right. I will say this. Uh, because of the way the film is done, mm-hmm. um, the... Uh, post-apocalyptic th- themes are, or post-apocalyptic settings are very common mm-hmm. in Christian film. Um, this ups the ante because this is actually accurate. Um, yeah. Without, I, without naming names, I guess uh, we, you and I, have seen several Christian films that take place after the apocalypse when government has broken down, and there's something that just doesn't ring true about it because th- the film is being made by with usually church money and written by Christians who don't want to, um, who don't want to offend, but that tends to make a world that doesn't look realistic. Um, the, after a world war, when there is no government, things will be violent. People will swear. Um, women will be taken advantage of. Yeah. And this film depicts that accurately, which, makes the story more interesting to watch and makes Denzel Washington's trip across the country much more moving because there is, um, there's a weight to it that wouldn't have been there if, um, if the world did not look accurate. Yeah. And a good companion film, it's not the one that's the official companion film for book of Eli today. Um, but Watch the, if you watch this in the road, it's a very similar kind of film, mm-hmm. even to the point of of uh, the idea of of not letting the situation dictate what your morals are going to be. Um, and in that way, I think uh, the road actually follows through completely. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the, those two go together very well. But we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take a short break. Yeah. I don't want then, this to be a Josh Long episode. I was here for two hours. Yeah, no, this one will probably be about an hour or 15, hour 20. Okay. Uh, so when we when we come back, we're going to talk about the companion film uh, because we did talk about the idea of uh, false versus true prophets. Mm. And uh, and to me, there's no better film about this than uh, Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. So we are going to talk about that uh, right after this. Dun, dun, dun. What? <laughs> All right, we're back. We're back. So, um, all right, so we, we talked uh, earlier about uh, the idea of false prophets versus true prophets. Yes. I'm um, talking about uh, Carnegie, that he basically aspires to be a false prophet, um, and he actually knows himself to be a false prophet. Not everyone is going to, yes. by the way. Uh, not all of them are going to be, you know, pragmatists who just say, like, well, this is how I'll get what I want. Some of them, I think, actually believe the things that they're yes. saying. Um, 
which is even scarier. It is, and it can be uh, more confusing because yeah. that kind of conviction, you know, can draw people in mm-hmm. and uh, and give them the wrong information. But uh, so what we're going to do is to to further talk about the idea of the false prophet. Um, we are going to talk about uh, one of my favorite films, and uh, uh, what a strange film it is. Uh, it's called Night of the Hunter. Night of the Hunter. What? I no. was singing it earlier. No, I know. I know. Are you going to continue with it? No. Are you sure? Well, I did it a lot earlier. Okay. Um, but anyway, so uh, it's directed by Charles Lawton, who's an actor that I really like. It is the only film he ever directed. Um, and he brought such a weird, I would venture to say, genius to it. It's a pretty uh, good film. Some, I saw it for the first time this this very day. Yeah. I remember somebody once described it as, uh, it, it seems like the dream of a gifted child. Um, yeah, so, hmm. and we'll, we'll, we'll explore that a little bit later, but uh, the film did not do well, because people at the, people now don't know how to take that movie. Yeah, I can imagine that's and I, the case. And I don't necessarily mean to set myself up like, look, everybody, I get it. There are parts I don't get, and there are parts I don't like. But as the film, and just looking at the film in general, and there are so many parts that I do absolutely love mm-hmm. that it's just like, I don't even remember the stuff I don't like anymore. And then and then when I watch, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could do without this scene. Okay. But it's just such a – it is the work of one of the most committed directors I've ever seen. I'll say that. It's – I don't know about genius, no. but – it is committed. Yeah. And Charles Lawton is, is a wonderful actor, and uh, and because it didn't do well, and even critics really, not all of them, but some critics really didn't like it at the time, and so he uh, said, oh, I'm never I'm never doing this again. And that is a shame, because I mm. think it would have been fascinating to see how he followed up, uh, followed up this film. Night of the Hunter. So let's do a brief overview of what happens in Night of the Hunter. Yeah. So uh, long story short, uh, this... Uh, this Guy, played by uh, Peter Graves, I believe. Uh, the father? The father. Ah, yes. He uh, He's married, he has two kids, and he is a criminal. And he actually has killed somebody to steal two some... Two people. Two people to kill some money. Uh, kill some money. Yeah. Let's, he, let's go he, out and kill some he money. He steals two people to kill some money. Yeah. And he and takes that... Pe- <laughs> All right. Sorry, and he shoves those, pe- shoves those people into a teddy bear. Or a doll. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, uh, so he steals some money, but he gets arrested in front of his own children... Uh, and he gets uh, put into a cell. Uh, by the way, he hides the money yes. in his daughter's doll yes. to keep it from the police. Right. Um, and he gets put in a cell with a guy that we've been introduced to previously, mm-hmm. uh, a reverend uh, named Harry Powell, played by Robert Mitchum, in what I would venture to say is his best performance. Certainly his most interesting. Yeah. If you if you know anything about Robert Mitchum, he was kind of, you know, in a lot of ways at the time, he was kind of the, the epitome of cool. Like, he was just very stoic and very, uh, you know, just, you just didn't mess with him. He just seemed like a real tough guy. You would never have thought that he would be the guy to play this role. Mm. Um, but he does great with it. He really commits to what Harry Powell is. Yeah. Um, so Harry Powell is this reverend who is in jail for uh, what is it? now? I've he, you've seen he him more steals, recently. Uh, he gets caught in the beginning for stealing a car, but as he's driving the car from town to town, he is talking to God, and I'm putting God in quotation marks because yeah. it's pretty clear that this man is psychotic. Yeah. Um, about the countless widows he has killed. Yeah. Um, 
and he's lost count of how many women he has killed for God. Yeah. Um, he, by the way, hates women. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's clear from the beginning. Like, he seems to be afraid of them or and just seems to think they're evil. And so, but what's interesting is that he also, so he gets put in a cell with Peter Graves, and Peter Graves reveals not specifically where the money is, but that there is money somewhere. Yeah. And then Peter Graves gets executed. Mm-hmm. Harry Powell gets let out, and he immense, uh, immediately goes to visit, hey, a widow. Peter Graves' widow, life. in fact. Yep. And so, and basically he's doing it so that he can find and get that money. Yeah. And uh, I won't say specifically what happens, but ultimately uh, Peter Graves' two children wind up on the run with the doll that has the money in it. Mm-hmm. And Children are like 10 and 6. Yeah, yeah. Very little. The the and it's it, it's mostly told from the point of view I would say of the little uh, of the little boy the yeah. older the the older brother because the daughter is strangely surreally ignorant and naive and angelic yeah and uh, and she's like really adorable but almost like almost disturbingly unaware of what's going on yeah and uh, and so it's so it's really just up to the brother. Mm-hmm. So John. they're just John. So they're just being uh, John and Pearl, if I'm not mistaken, right? Pearl is correct. And so they're being chased across the countryside by this villainous preacher who is remarkably charming, and in fact has fooled everybody yeah. into thinking that he is like the strongest man of God that they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that he he's a blend of what we're of what we're talking about. He he believes in God. Mm-hmm. Oh, he very clearly. Much so. Thinks that he, I mean, he actually, I, if I don't remember the exact line, but I think he talks about how he and God have an understanding. Yeah, he doesn't um, specifically so, say what it is. Someone asks what his denomination is, and he remarks that it is the one that he and the Almighty came up with for himself. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. and that's as he's wielding his knife. Yeah, um, because his he is ordained apparently by God to go out and kill women. Right, but he also gets money. And and at the beginning, it seems like he views this money as just the way in which he will go out and uh, and continue God's good work of God's killing holy work. Um, but the way in which he he chases the two children, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot. It's a lot of money, but also there there does seem to be an element of of just good old fashioned greed in yeah. there as well. Yep. Um, there's also a relish in what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I found myself throughout the course of the film wondering why it took so long. Mm-hmm. If as soon as he has the ability to get them, uh, he's made it very clear that he has no problem killing people. Uh, yeah. I know the kids know where the money is and don't want to tell him. Right. But he he plays the kids in a really really disturbing way like yeah. he really messes with the the minds of the children and he, and uh, without going into specific detail what event you know what eventually happens between the two of them uh he is so mentally cruel to their mother yeah it is i mean it's you didn't see that kind of thing back then mm. uh in film uh i mean you did every once in a while there's a humphrey bogart film called uh, in a lonely place which features like incredible mental cruelty mm-hmm. uh to a woman yeah but uh and to other people actually now that i think about it but 
Um, but you just didn't see that kind of thing, and yeah. it is disturbing to see. For for those of you who do go see Night of the Hunter, um, I'd like to put this out there. Uh, Robert Mitchum's view of and and I'd say every there's not a really good view of sex in this whole movie, right? Um, and it's completely unbiblical. Like there, pro sex is not just for procreation, and uh, I there's. There's some disturbing stuff in this movie, yeah. and it happens so subtly that you almost don't realize what just happened. There's there's a moment where an older woman who, at the beginning of the film, you kind of see as a matronly uh, confidant almost, makes the comment that when she sleeps with her husband, she just lies there and thinks about canning, which... <laughs> And but and everyone at the table just looks at her because yeah. she's talking to a, a large group of women, and they all kind of look at her with this these odd, disturbing faces of like resignation. It's creepy. Anyway, yeah. Um. So the kids get away. They go on the run. Um. And they end up running across Shelley Winters' character, Mrs. Cooper. No, no, no. Shelley she- Winters is the uh, is the the wife. Shelley Lil- Winters is the wife. Yeah, Lillian Gish. Lillian is, uh, yeah. You heard it here first. Shelley Winters is the wife. He's making such or, a funny face of me. Well, the, the I'm sorry. The his his wife and the the children's mother. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, and I don't think people have heard it here first. Okay, but no, that's that's the that's uh, Lillian Gish. I, it is weird sorry. to look back. No, it's fine. When I think I of Shelley Winters, I think of an old woman. Yeah, and Shelley Winters is a young woman in that, and. Uh, and what's weird is that Lillian Gish, I've seen her in stuff in like the 70s and 80s. I think she was born eight, like 75. Like Maggie Smith? Yeah, I could see it. I look at a young Maggie Smith, I'm like, you still look like you're 68. Yeah. It's very strange. So uh, there's a weird, there's a timeless quality to Lillian Gish's perpetual old age. Mm. I really like Maggie Smith, by the way. That's like a complete I do too. side oh, yeah, note. Yeah. When I acted, she was on my list of like the five actresses I wanted to work with. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what kind of list you were going to be because you know it's people a Christian talk about podcast. I know it is. I'm sorry. I just you bring it. My out wife is going to listen to this, huh? Never mind. Your I'm wife bored. is going to listen to this. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess mine will too. She's catching up. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. <clears throat> so anyway, so they they run across uh, Lillian Gish's character, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Cooper. Mrs. Cooper, who uh, is. Uh, she's old, she's alone, lives in a big house, uh, and has just kind of taken it upon herself to take in children. Yeah. Um, that Orphaned are, or runaway yeah. children. Right. Um, so John and Pearl get worked into the lineup, as it were. There are already three kids there. Yeah. Um, and live with her. Eventually, Robert Mitchum's character catches up with them and finds them. And there's some really creepy scenes where he's... Like it's nighttime and he's just sitting in the yard singing a hymn, singing uh, "Leaning on the Everlasting Arms." You will Ugh. never when you hear, when you see this movie, you'll never hear that song the same way again. Yeah, uh, but and there's eventually a confrontation between Lillian Gish and uh, Robert Mitchum, and uh, I don't know how much of this you want to give away. Well, I don't want to give away all of it, but okay. she she. Here's the thing. He's Mitchum is a is a rather imposing physical figure. Yeah, he's a big guy. Uh, Lillian Gish is old, small, and frail, and a woman. And in a movie that gives very little, um, do- doesn't think it doesn't seem to think very highly of women at all. It's right. set a very low standard. Yeah, and then she comes along, and she's yeah. 
an incredibly strong character. And she basically, I mean, she goes toe-to-toe with Mitchum. She does not allow herself to be uh, uh, intimidated by him. Instead, she goes and whips out the shotgun. Yep. And, uh, and it's just, and what's fascinating is that there's just such such interesting uh, portrayals of light and darkness in this because she is also a Christian. Yes. And she makes no bones about it. It, it should be stated, everyone in this film, besides possibly one character, yeah. talks about their faith yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, but there are very interesting differences between um, the people of the town where John and Pearl grow up, mm-hmm. Robert Mitchum's character, and um, and Mrs. Cooper. Uh, one of which, and I thought this was kind of the most interesting, uh, Mrs. Cooper is the only one who actually reads from her Bible. Yeah. You'll see Robert Mitchum carrying one, but it's almost carried as a prop to lend credibility to what to the false teachings he is stating. Yeah, there's a part where he he gives not necessarily a sermon or anything, but he goes into this speech that yeah. is that clearly it's it's almost as if it were a sermon. People certainly react that way. Mm-hmm. Uh and he has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles and basically he he creates they wrestle. A, yeah, he creates a fight between his hands in which love eventually wins. And this and, and he really dazzles everybody, but he hasn't mentioned anything biblical at all. Yeah. Like, th- this is his... He, he mentioned that uh, Cain slew Abel with his left hand. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Is that true? I, I don't see... I don't know. I got my Bible right here. Yeah, give it a look. But uh, actually, don't. That's fine. I just... I don't... I don't remember that, but uh, I don't know. Well, I'm gonna, here, you talk. Cain okay. murders Abel. Go ahead. Oh, okay, you you found it? Okay. Um. So the... Uh, so it's... So there, it, there's a showdown between these two, basically, and uh, and she stands her ground, and she is she's a firm Christian. She, as Sean said, she's you know she's she reads from her Bible, and there's a scene that's really beautiful to me because he's been singing leaning throughout. Mm-hmm. All right, and the way he sings it is ominous and scary, and clearly. And it means such a different thing for him because yeah. he has been depending on what he thinks God is yeah. uh, for, for his sustenance. And so when the way he leans on the everlasting arms is is different than, when, than the way she does. And there's a part where he's, he's standing outside her house and he's singing leaning. And then she decides she's going to chime in because that's the way he's singing the song and what he represents – it's it's almost blasphemous that he would ever yeah. sing this, and so she sings in, she chimes in, and it's but it's leaning on Jesus. leaning on Jesus is what yeah. she says, and just her commitment to doing what's right, and she is not she's not a meek character. No, I mean she, she she's actually I mean when when you first see her when the kids first come across her doorstep, yeah. the first thing she does is pick up a switch and start chasing them into the house. Yeah, she is. Kind of the the epitome of the the devout matronly woman who takes you know doesn't take uh, doesn't take back talk. You I wouldn't have thought it odd if you know someone had mouthed off and she'd have popped him in the mouth. Yeah. By the way, uh, I do not see here that Cain. It says Cain. I have a new King James um, Genesis four eight. Uh, says now uh, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Okay, but I don't know about the left hand. Nothing thing. about the left hand. Okay. No. Um. So it's 
it's just really interesting because we've, you know, first off, just the idea, the way in which she stands up to him. Yeah. It's not apologetic. It is completely bold because mm-hmm. one thing that, you know, and at this point, you know, we're talking to Christian specifically. There's no need to apologize when there is somebody out there. You don't necessarily need to be a jerk uh, about it, but at the same time, there's no need to apologize when there's somebody out there doing terrible things in the name of God and the name of Jesus, uh, and you may be in a position to have to stand up to them and don't back down. Don't back down because that because probably enough people have, yeah. and that's why this person has gotten to where they are. Yeah. And so, um, and so she doesn't back down. She really just, even though like this guy could overpower her, she does have a shotgun and he has a knife, but still, um, he could throw it, he could throw it, you know, and he just, you know, he kind of thrives in the dark and he can just pop up wherever. And he's so creepy. Yeah. And it's just, it's a, it's a really disturbing film the way it portrays him, but the way it portrays her, she's just. She's not viewed as perfect. No. She's not even viewed as incredibly likable. Yeah. But she is, she's clearly in tune mm-hmm. with God, and she's doing what God wants her to do. Yeah. She's protecting people. Yeah. And, and on that, it, this is kind of bringing it back to uh, the comment I made before about her actually reading Scripture versus yeah. other people, assuming someone else has read Scripture. Yeah. I find that's, uh, that's something I've run across more than once in my, in my Christian life. The assumption that... Someone else has read scripture. Yeah. Because in general, if you throw a Bible verse into something, the the thought is, oh, well, that person, it's the Bible. Clearly, you wouldn't misquote the Bible. Uh, not true. Yeah. Uh, as we experience with Book of Eli, the Bible lends its own credibility. So it is, in essence, the best book to misquote because of the implications that come with using a, a quotation from it. But... I got another Bible verse. Go right ahead. Woo. Um, in terms, uh, this is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 10. Uh, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Um, we see a group of a group of people who know scripture and even though someone very credible Paul in mm. the, the apostle Paul in this case comes to them and is preaching they're still going into the word to make sure excuse me he's on the up and up yeah. which is something as Christians that we are called to do um the people of John and Pearl's hometown do not do that it's very clear that they don't have an understanding of scripture because of the things that they latch onto. And at the end of the film, we see uh, very mild mannered Christians from the beginning of the film ransack a town yeah. and tear things apart that don't need to be torn apart. Yeah. Um, they, they, they really mess up an ice cream shop. Oh yeah. Um, and just tear the seats out and they're storming the streets. But, uh, you wouldn't have guessed that from the beginning of the film. I yeah. thought that was one of the really interesting things about it is the the people that you tend to be most sympathetic with at the beginning end up turning really nasty at the end. Well, and that's the thing is that because they, as as mentioned, like they are Christians theoretically, um, 
I would say they're more cultural than anything, but they wouldn't say that. Um, of course not. And when they and but they're not reading the word clearly because they are won over so easily by Harry Powell because he's all he's just style over substance basically. Mm-hmm. If you speak in a charming way and with enough authority, they'll just believe it. Yeah. Um, without him ever having to reference anything except maybe Cain and Abel. Um, and Makes just, me want to get love and hate tattooed on my hands. I know, doesn't it? But I'm, I've got this ring on my knuckle here. Mm. And, uh, you know, so it'll you won't see the T in hate. Or you could use the ring to cross the T. It could be lowercase. Nice. But then when I take the ring... Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> so... So when you you know so when you don't have like a firm foundation in the you know in the Bible then you're 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 going to wind up just kind of blowing in the wind and so they're won over by this guy but when the time comes and public opinion or whatever has turned against him and then everyone's really angry then all of a sudden the mob mentality sets in and there is no objective mora- the the objective morality that you find in the Bible uh, doesn't play a role in their lives. Yeah. And so, you know, one thing that, that is important in Book of Eli and in this is that, as we were talking about, the idea of information, but in this case, we all have Bibles. The Bible is available to us. So we can actually go into that and use it uh, to determine whether or not somebody is a false prophet, determine whether or not something... Uh, you know, a claim in the name of Christ is true. Yep. You know, not o- and one one thing that fascinates me: not only does the Bible say, uh, "Just kind of go with it," it it invites you to always always refer back yeah. and say, "Is this actually true?" Yeah. This this the Bible never makes the claim that someone who has studied it uh, is smarter and should be blindly listened to. Right. Um. It's it's our duty as Christians to be in the Word and to know enough about the Word to check to to objectively check that someone is is being uh, is on the up and up yeah. is actually quoting Scripture is not taking things out of context and I, I find a lot of the time the verses that surround the quoted verse are incredibly important yeah um, so and it's and that's the thing is if you're if you're into the word enough, then you will get that boldness that we were talking about, that confidence. You know, there's a scene, uh, you you mentioned it uh, before we started recording, there's a scene where Robert Mitchum, having gone into his love and hate speech mm-hmm. and using it to win over the crowd. And you also he, realize at this point that the love and hate speech is a monologue. It's, it's yeah. perfectly rehearsed. He goes right back into it. Yeah. He's done it before in the film. Yeah, and... And it and it seems to work. Mm-hmm. It seems to win people over or convince them that he knows what he's talking about. And then he tries to do it with Co- with Mrs. Cooper, and she interrupts him about a sentence and a half in, if that, and goes for the shotgun. Like. Right, like she immediately knows. Okay, look, I don't don't even don't even try doing this. Don't even try to work your you know stylistic magic on me. Because I know I know what you are. Ooh, maybe she knows because in the Bible it doesn't say left hand. What and he says left hand? Oh, maybe that's a clue right there. But uh, and so it really like one thing that that I think that you can take from from both of these movies is the importance of the Bible being available to us. Use it and, and use it because Lord knows. Other people will, and their motives might not be so pure. Uh, it's worth uh, mentioning, uh, Luke 4, uh, 
after Christ is baptized um, by John the Baptist, the Spirit sends him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mm-hmm. The devil quotes scripture at him. Yeah. Like, takes it out of context, but quotes scripture at him. And the first temptation that Satan ever made against Eve was calling into question the thing that God had said to her. Yeah. Did God really say? The enemy is going to use scripture against you. He knows it back to front. He knows it. I mean, he knows it better than me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and that's what gets dangerous is when the word of God starts getting twisted and taken out of context. Um, the the more dangerous enemy is is the one who is willing to take scripture and misuse it, not the one who is gonna you know burn Bibles. Yeah, yeah, and it's just yeah. So I I feel like uh, man, I've actually uh, really inspired myself with with what we're saying because I didn't I, you know. Just in general, a neat thing to do is compare movies to each other that may be even vaguely similar. Yeah. Because you can actually get a lot out of that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of of getting the of getting uh the message of being, you know, staying in scripture, I never thought of that in reference to uh Night of the Hunter. But in the context of talking about it with Book of Eli, it makes per- it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. That's how she knows. That's where she has a- attained her character. Yeah, you know, and that's how she, better than anybody else in the film, is in the is in the perfect position to actually stand up to this guy. Yeah, because she has the authority to do so, yeah. and she gets that authority from the Bible. Yeah, because he's he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He sure is, and she goes a hunting, protecting her flock. Who's the hunter in this one? Uh, uh, the hunter ah! has become the hunted. Uh, oh. And on that note, I think we should be we should be done. Um, yeah. Now, Sean, yes, you are now an accredited, accredited, no, uh, certified, certified. That's the word. NASM certified personal trainer. That's right. Woo. So, uh, and uh, I've worked out with Sean, and it's uh, and as I've said before, uh, you're looking good. Thank you. Um, I don't <laughs> that like was that a little weird, <laughs> but uh, it's. I'm not somebody who enjoys working out. Don't get me wrong. I still don't thoroughly enjoy it with Sean, but at the same time, he has made it a great deal easier through, like, being really encouraging and really positive. Uh, You know, in gym class, all I ever heard was negativity, you know, and uh, and so I feel like people just associate that with working out. And so if you live in the Los Angeles area... And you got some, you know, and you got some pounds you got to lose, or you just want to be healthier in general yeah. and feel healthier. Because, because, here's the thing: I, when I got into personal training, mm-hmm. um, Los Angeles, especially if you live here, but if you, if you are listening to this podcast and you, you speak English by way of America, you live in a country that is always trying to convince you that you are not good enough if your body doesn't look a certain way. Yeah. Um, that's not true. Uh, your worth is never, ever, and this is like before you start working out, after you start, after you worked out for years. If your worth is never in what your body looks like, your health is involved. And, yeah. but I've known people that aren't healthy but look good. Oh yeah, that's that's something in Los Angeles. I have I've worked out at gyms and I've washed my hands in the restroom next to guys who have been shooting up steroids. Hmm. They look like 
any Abercrombie and Fitch model, but they are destroying their bodies to get to that point. That is not what the Lord wants from you. Mm-hmm. Um, we are told that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that the Lord gives us. So there is like one of the persons of God lives in your body. And we're told that he who is a good steward with a little is a good, will be given, gi- given, given much. Yeah. Um, the first gift you've been given by God is the gift of your body. And being a good steward of it does not involve benching 300 pounds. It doesn't involve six-pack abs. It just being healthier, being active, because that's what we were created to do. That's the de- what we were designed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to spend a ton of time in the gym to attain that. And fitness doesn't have to be, you know, slogging your way through, you know, six days a week in in a big corporate gym yeah it can be done in the home it can be done in the park i suggest going to the park because it means you're outside and you know running around but just being active and that's the the key is trying to encourage people that health is important it's not the most important mm-hmm. um and i try not to play off of people's insecurities which are usually deeply ingrained and well developed um because that's not cool yeah, and speaking of somebody who's, I would it would appear uh, made up of insecurities. Um, I think you're made up of flesh. A lot of it. See, there's an insecurity. Oh, there's insecurity darn it! Right I didn't there. mean to. But the um, give them an opening. But the. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's just it, Sean has really uh, helped me uh, a great deal to kind of actually. This sounds cheesy. I'm sorry, everybody. Actually kind of believe in myself. I found, you know, I, I still have difficulty with certain things, but I find that I'm much more willing to push myself. And and I have lost some weight, but at the same time, I would say more importantly, is that you do feel better. And I don't necessarily mean just emotionally, though there is that. You just, you know, you just feel good physically. Mm-hmm. You just feel energized and so I highly, I highly recommend it. And so if you are in LA, uh, you can email Sean and see what, uh, yeah. see what he can do for there's, you. <laughs> there's, um, uh, a website is in the works right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so for right now, if you're interested, the, you know, the first workout with a fitness assessment is free and that's never going to change. Like it's not a gimmick. I work out kind of weird, mm-hmm. um, and do different stuff. So I want I want my clients to know that they want to work out with me before they even think about putting any money on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested, contact Tyler at uh, uh, Tyler at more than one lesson.com yep. and he'll pass your information along to me and we'll, um, we'll get together and you know, figure now, something out. does real world gym have an email address or are you um, going to go with uh, a different thing? Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go with a different thing okay. right now. Um, but, uh, would would you be willing to once I get it ironed out? Would you make a post or oh, sure. something? Absolutely. So yeah, be on the lookout for that if you're interested. There'll be yeah. a a website coming soon. Yeah. So in the meantime, yeah, just uh, if you are curious, and again, I do highly recommend it. Uh, just email me Tyler at more than one lesson dot com, and I will uh, I will pass it along to Sean. Yep. So uh, yeah, Sean Richardson training, training the body, retraining the mind. Absolutely. That was Tyler's line. That's a good line. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so Sean, thanks for being here. Hey, my pleasure. And, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Last one.